0: I think it's important to note that uh, fundamentals are also very strong. We've got a, a growing economy, uh, jobs, income. My administration has a job to do
1: as well. And that job is to get this economy back on its feet. First of all, I don't, I don't see America having problems. 25 years ago, I got ripped off with some whole life, life insurance. The only type of life insurance that you should have, in my opinion, is term insurance.
0: Welcome to Infinite Banking Radio. In three short years, our financial system has turned upside down, but we still hear the same rhetoric and are pushed into the same strategies. The Infinite Banking concept is a proven system that will transform your financial future. Now here's your host, Patrick Donahoe. Hi everybody. Thank you for downloading this month's podcast. This is Infinite Banking Radio. We're glad you're joining us today. For those of you who are listening for the first time, go and check out our uh, our new website. We have a website up that's going to give a, a crash course in the infinite banking concept. We've been working on it for, for several months. It's up and live, and so you can go to our website, which is www.paradigmlife.net. Today we're actually in Houston, Texas, getting out of a conference. I'm here with a good friend and, and colleague of mine, Brad Gibb. Brad, how's it going? Great, Patrick. Thanks for having me. And we uh, we were here to to... Do do nothing more than learn about math, and I, I think you made a pretty interesting comment when uh, when we were in our training that we we, f- we spend two days and fly fly into into Texas to 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 learn math, and so it's obviously a, a pretty pretty. Uh, different concepts pretty uh something that's definitely outside of the outside of the norm but there's a there's a group that we work with the podcast from last month had Todd Langford. Todd Langford's the owner of Truth Concepts and so they put on a training out here uh every uh, every couple months and so uh, we've been coming out here for years and uh this is just one of those times so it was a great uh it was it was a great opportunity so we were here with uh with Kim Butler and Todd Langford. Uh, they've uh, they've been in the financial services business business for for quite some time so we're gonna spend a lot of time today talking about uh, their program and, and some of the things that they've done uh, to help really tell the, the truth behind uh, math and money and, and economics and so uh, there's there's no better person to have with me than, than Brad so Brad Brad uh, he's been on the podcast a few times in the past and and very intelligent individual and has a, a background in statistics and economics and accounting and really just kind of analyzing the the, the business Business side of of, uh, of corporations and specifically public corporations, uh, but you know, looking looking at your, the application of, of math and and how the business world and, and monetary world understands math, I mean, where would you put that on a scale? Would you think it's a, a pretty high understanding or a low understanding? I, I think when we think
1: about it in terms of of uh, understanding of economics as it's as it's accepted in the in the in the academic world nobody understands that nobody that's out running businesses creates models or puts together formulas in order to run their business mm-hmm. they're out trying to look at what people want and and what they can do uh, to provide a good or a service so that they can provide for their families they're not sitting in a in a room creating an economic model and we're going to start business on mm-hmm. so the, there's really no connection between that world
0: of, of academics and and the world of, of business owners and entrepreneurs what's like what do you think the cost of that of that is because obviously a business owner an entrepreneur is very idea oriented they're not analytic and so but nonetheless it's still uh, all those all those principles financial principles play into the, the daily workings of their business yeah and while there's little connection between
1: macroeconomic theory and what the average business owner sits and tries to do if the business owner doesn't understand um, how to how to calculate his profits? How to look at what type of return he's making and the success of his business? Uh, it can have huge impacts, and it can be it can be, um, it, it can be a, a negative for him. And that's what we spent the last two days learning was how to calculate um, whether an investment is a good investment, and and, and really taking it to the numbers mm-hmm. to see uh, whether the proof is in the pudding in, mm-hmm. in what somebody's doing. And and I think that that most people are woefully unprepared
0: to do that, any type of analysis, at least to that level, so. Because numbers, I mean, they're important in several different facets of, of life. And I think looking looking at numbers it sometimes tells a different story than what the the, the shell or the outside uh, looks like. So dig, digging yep. beneath and kind of understanding that is is vitally important. And I think that you know one of the points that's made you know throughout throughout these trainings is that we we obviously have a bias, uh, but at the same time our 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 bias is very flexible. I mean, there's no investment that we ever really turn down as far as analyzing and thinking about it. There's no strategy or no system that we we shun, uh, but we we accept everything and try to have the right tools to be able to analyze it and see if it is viable because well, more often than not you have ideas that sound legitimate they sound rational but beneath the surface are completely irrational well i, I
1: like what you said before patrick in that we're not uh life insurance agents that that wanted to find a creative and interesting way to present an idea mm-hmm. uh, on the contrary we were out looking for what the best idea and best system is out there mm-hmm. and then how we could help people apply that and that's what brought us to the idea of infinite banking is it, it you know currently it's it's the best we've found um out there to to help people achieve their financial goals and so that's why we back it and and we're always out looking for you know Things to add to it, but but that's where we've we've come to so far,
0: mm. not the other I, way around. And I think you know, you, you look at whether it's academia, you look at um, our, our overall our overall world and and what our ambitions and what what our goals are. I think that one of one of the the lost sciences, if you will, has been the idea behind critical thinking and it's really being able to analyze and debate and see multiple sides of a specific issue and be able to debate that and come out with a a rational outcome. These days, things are very slighted, things are very one-sided, and and it's really hard because I, I think You you look at uh, individuals who have a very eloquent way of presenting something, and it sounds compelling, and on the surface it sounds like an incredible idea, but oftentimes there's never really a contrary to it. And it's unfortunate because a lot of people think a very similar way these days, which is flawed, but because there's a lot of people thinking that exact same way – then it's just kind of accepted as truth without really analyzing the fine details. And it's, and, it's, and it's sad, and I think that a lot of the results, and we're going to talk about an article that we've both read in just a second, but I, I think there's been a lot of uh, disheartening things that have occurred over the last several years because of an idea that was thought to be true but inherently was flawed.
1: Yeah, nobody nobody goes through that process of questioning. Even if it's something that they believe, you ought to regularly question your own beliefs and your own view of the world in order to to ensure that, that what you're seeing is right. Nobody peels back those layers. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as they come across something that either is is accepted by everybody else or something that they see as okay that's kind of where they stop and and we strive to to challenge the norm and 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 make people think and and second guess
0: and really analyze Mm -hmm. yeah because i think you know and that's it's a a great point because i think life every day is different and we we learn something new and we're constantly being influenced and having a a change in our paradigms or change in our perspective of the world and we need to step back every now and again and realize okay what are we doing why am i doing it what's what's working in my life what's not working and if it's not working what what type of principle what type of thing am i am i doing wrong and how can i correct it i think it's a constant constant thing that we're trying to do as individuals but i think at the same time you look at you know, uh, especially in financial services is having absolute plans. Absolute meaning, okay, this is what's gonna happen in the future and being able to project 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years into the future and obviously, the complete, having complete irrationality behind that, and I think a lot of you know the financial services industry—they're projecting interest rates. They're projecting, okay, this is what we're going to have, and if you get this for this amount of period of time, this is how much money you're going to end up with. But there's so many other variables that are involved with that, as far as opportunity costs, as far as fluctuations in the market, as far as new technology, uh, as far as inflation, as far as you know trends are concerned. And it's you know, and I think it was it was pretty amazing because obviously we project certain things and in, in what we do as a business, and we we were projecting things here as far as numbers are concerned, but at the same time, we always step back and we say, listen, this is probably not going to happen there's going to be so many different changes and it could be better, it could change this way, it couldn't change this way. Who knows what's really going to happen? And I think at the end of the day, it's it's being able to have, obviously, the understanding of what absolute means, but at the same time, understanding that there's probably no such thing in life as, as absolutes. I mean, there's certain absolute principles like gravity and so forth, but as far as where markets go, people, what money does and so forth, it's always going to be a never-ending
1: change. Yep, and, and the thing to remember is, is we... And this is one point we talked about, too, is that simply because there's uncertainty doesn't mean we just give up, throw our hands in the air, stick our head in the sand. Uh, It means we try to look for those areas that provide certainty so that we can have a basis from which to operate. And, And unfortunately, most people... Um, are not seeking or, or not looking in the right places for their certainty in their finances. They're looking at places that that what are touted as, as certainties mm-hmm. um, that really are, are not, mm-hmm. A- and uh, that that's where you know, where we spent a lot of time looking at, at what certainty is provided within the infinite banking concept and, and what benefit and advantage that could give you in, in your long-term uh, financial planning.
0: I think, you know, look kind of before we before we transition on to this, this article, but uh, one of the things that we saw when we were at this training is, you know, a lot of individuals that have been doing this for a long time, or not necessarily this, but they have been in the financial services industry, and they've come from you know, different walks of life and have sold different financial products and have kind of gravitated toward toward this system. And I think that there's, there's some, there's some, uh, some similar similarities between each of them as far as what they did and why, why they did it. So let's touch on that and maybe you know, some, of the, some of the people that were there and, and how they were trying to get their mind around some of these calculators and some of these, some of these numbers and why they were so tainted in the past. I mean, what were some of your takeaways in regards to that? But well, one of them was uh, there were people from,
1: from all age categories. We were on the younger end, um, and there were people all the way, I think, as old as about 70 years old yep. here yep. Uh, trying to further further their education. But what it seemed was is um, everybody valued having an economic tool set. And that's what we were here learning what was getting experience with an economic tool set um, because all of their clients had difficulty making calculations and really saying if i do x you know what can i reasonably expect Mm -hmm. to end up with on the back end and and uh so that that's one thing that struck me was was no matter how you know whether they had degrees in economics like you and i do or whether they you know had had a high school education and just a lot of experience Mm -hmm.
0: They were wanting to, to build an economic tool set that they could share with their clients. And I think that's what people are looking for these days, just because, I mean, individuals have not wound up with what they thought they were going to and i think we're facing some some trends that are going to be uh, occurring in the next couple of years with the baby boomer generation with a lot of shifts in uh, in economic policy, monetary policy, political policy and and there, there's a lot of uncertainty. People want to people want that these days. I mean, if you go back to the 80s and 90s, and again, we were, you know, what we were, we weren't thinking about this when we were in the 80s and 90s. We were, you know, thinking about, you know, what were the the Friday night dance or whatever, (laughs) you know, we, we weren't thinking, but, but during that chaotic period of time, uh, especially in the late eighties, uh, and then, you know, the early two thousands with the dot com bust, uh, there was a a lot of people that had their paradigms rocked and their perspectives as far as what they thought they were going to have and what was going on with their money completely changed. And I think the consensus was, uh, a sense of amnesia which is you have these boom and bust cycles that have occurred for so long but and, and basically it's just in another cycle right now where where people are basically going down the same path and expecting a different result. The result's always been that same thing, which is a bust in the end, but people continue to go down that path. So maybe touching on you know the psychology of individuals and, and maybe how they're you know trusting certain individuals that portray something a specific way. Uh, and and kind of how that leads into a, a trend. Why do you think the trend is today the same thing that has been going on for the last you know 30, 40 years? Well, part of
1: the problem is is we're working with a new generation. Like you said, you and I weren't paying attention to what was going on in the 80s kay. because because we were not old enough to to know what's going on. Now the people that are being rocked by it. You know, really, really weren't as affected by that. So it's a first. Everybody has a first time around, Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's why some of the cycle happens. But then the other part of it is, you know, so that's one half of it. The other half, to me, is people want. Uh, the easy way out they want the free lunch and they want the, they 're naturally drawn to those types of investment opportunities that that just are 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 touted as once in a lifetime yeah. and those are the housing bubble is a great one right housing prices will never they will always be going up and and when cab drivers start giving you tips on what house to buy, you know that it that's, that's it 's gone a little bit too far and and that 's that's, I think, the cycle that we fall back into is: is we look for that easy way or the sexy way mm-hmm. or, or the popular way mm-hmm. to get rich quick.
0: Like the Facebook, the Facebook IPO.
1: Yeah, and, and those stocks yeah. and those as come around as soon as they're forgotten, mm-hmm. somebody comes up with another one to, to try to come out with it. So I think that's part of what leads to that
0: cycle. Okay. So let's let's kind of go, uh, transition into an article that that uh, I think. Has a pretty close correlation between you know what what we've gone through over the last couple of days, and it's an article I read, uh, which was basically the uh, a speech that was given in uh, in front of the the Federal Reserve, uh, the New York bank, the, the New York Federal Reserve Bank, and it was by a, a, a free market you know slash Austrian economist Robert Robert Wenzel, and it, it was it was interesting because you look at, and I think that I'm not sure why they did it. I'm not sure what what the the New York uh, Federal Reserve Bank was was thinking, and for those of you who want the article, we'll pu- we'll put a link in the in the podcast uh, in the podcast blog. But I'm not sure what they were thinking. I'm not sure if they if they were genuinely seeking out uh, the the kind of the contrarian. And maybe critical point of view of of, uh, of certain economists. Obviously, the majority of economists are you know work for the federal government. So you know you have this kind of small group that has been uh, very antagonizing, if you will, against certain policies that the Federal Reserve has been been making and voting on. And so I'm not sure why they why they had them there. But anyway, uh, this Robert Wenzel basically got there, and that was just kind of his opening statement. Is like I don't know really why why I'm here, <laughs> but they he started to go into a lot of the criticism as far as um, you know what the Federal Reserve was doing, what Bernanke was doing, and and how it completely contradicted uh, what what actually works in economics. And it's basically the same policy that has failed in the past, and they continue to go down that same path. So maybe as you were reading that article, uh, Brad, what were, you, what were you taking away as far as some of the points that, that uh, uh, Dr. Wenzel was making and, and maybe how it applied to the current monetary policy that, that our country is going through right now?
1: Yeah, I think we'll get to kind of the, the deeper part in just a minute, but kind of the first initial one to go along with that amnesia thing that we were discussing earlier was um, he pointed out several times where there were blatant contradictions in what the Federal Reserve had reported. Uh, He even quoted that Ben Bernanke himself criticized um, type of policies like Operation Operation Twist twist, in his own articles and then only a handful of years later he implemented that same uh, that same policy and so it it brings back that idea of you know he and he also pointed out you know gave some quotes of, of Bernanke and other other uh, high economic people saying everything is fine and then days later sometimes there being awful consequences and then pointing to his own record and uh, the record of other Austrian economists that they pointed out time after time after time when economic policy was going to fail yet nobody Nobody would recognize that. Nobody would give any credence to that. And they just kept doing the same thing over and over. That was
0: one of the big, big takeaways for yeah. me. And that's the thing, is, I mean, as I said in the beginning, you know, you, whenever you have a bias, even our bias... You, you have the bias of you know traditional financial planners, the bias of Wall Street, the bias of you know whatever the the local bank tells you to do with your money. I mean, there's and this is all walks of life, but obviously with our profession, that's why we're talking about. It, but you have that one singular bias, but yet the need for multiple perspectives is is almost required. For there to be kind of a, a, a determining factor as far as what is what is right and what is wrong. If you have just one singular perspective and bias, how how on earth are you going to be able to get something right? and Be able to how to debate it and critically think through the specific topic. And so it's the same thing here. It's you, you have them making specific decisions that haven't worked in the past, and you probably had all these guys say, "Okay, it's, we're going to make it work this time. We're, you know, it, this is going to work here. Are the numbers here are our different models, but yet it's it's a singular perspective, a singular paradigm as far as economics is concerned, without regard. To to the other critics, which you just said, that were basically saying, "Listen, you tried this in the past; it didn't work." And he stated that a number of times through throughout his throughout his speech.
1: Yeah, and I think the the direction we're going to take this is the they thought they were changing things up because they they used a different model or they put different inputs in, um, or they were looking at a different way. But in reality, they weren't because they were still using economic models to try to plan people's actions. They were trying to force certainty into an uncertain world and calculate the outcome. And so it, while, while they themselves likely thought, hey, you know, th- this time it will be different because we're smarter or we're using something different, they were taking the same approach and the same view, the same Keynesian model um, that just hasn't,
0: hasn't worked ever. No, I think you, you said something pretty profound which is which is basically making certain predictions in an uncertain world, and I think you know if you go if you go back and really look at the, the main reason why you know the, the Austrian school of economics was really created it was on the principle of subjective value theory, which is people don't buy because of what it costs the manufacturer to make. People buy because that's what they value, and if I want to pay for this thing, I don't I don't go and look at okay how much. I wonder how much the fa- you know, the factory, you know, put how much their parts were and how much everything, and the price that they created. If the price is too high, I'm not going to buy it. And that's my that's you, you have to have a buyer in any transaction. And so, looking at it in this regard, human behavior is always sporadic. Our tastes change every single day. One day we're on a diet. One day we're in the Caribbean. One day we're in Alaska. One day we're, um, you know, driving a Honda. One day we're driving a Lexus. One day we're driving a truck. I mean, it's our our tastes in life are always changing. And that's not just us, it's, it's uh, as, as individuals, it's everybody. So human behavior is always erratic and it always has been. Now, can you model what a human most likely will do? Yeah, in a sense, but is it, is it a guarantee? Is it a certainty? The models that they have are certain absolute models. And if this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens, the result is going to be this the thing is how many different variables can change within the, within whatever period of time they're analyzing to per, you know, produce a completely opposite effect. And what's funny is that those variables have been proven. Okay. If you inject money into the economy, is it a certainty that a person's going to spend it? No, no. Is it if you inject all this money into banks, is it a certainty that they're going to lend it out or that they're going to do it in the
1: way you want them to do it yeah. or that it will bring about the result you are anticipating? Yeah. One of the biggest things is that idea of unintended consequences. Yes, they may spend it, but it may not be in the sector you wanted it or had intended it and it may have completely opposite effects of what you were your model had predicted yeah, and that's
0: the whole thing with the with the stimulus is the stimulus was supposed to provide liquidity so that banks and there's obviously a ton of other stuff that goes into this but it basically provided banks with liquidity to be able to lend out and that lend out would create the velocity of money which would then hopefully help stimulate the economy but did banks lend it out no they made it harder to borrow and the thing is even if they were lending it out who knows if people were going to borrow or not you can't make those predictions because it's all based on human behavior. And what ended up happening is what? They didn't lend it out. They basically took the money at a quarter percent and they lent it to – right back to the treasury. They lent it to the treasury. Then I would have done the same – I mean in, a, in, a, in a, a purely I need to make money mindset. I just got burned and I got to make money. The purely you know survivalist mentality is what? I'm going to make as much money as possible with the least amount of risk. I just got burned by all these Americans who stopped paying their mortgage and credit cards and all will be lows. What makes you think I'm going to go lend to them? I'm going to lend to the U.S. government, and even though I'm going to make 5% of my money, it only costs me a quarter. Now, obviously, most people think that a quarter to four per, or 5% is going to be 4 and 3 quarters as far as the, the spread is concerned, but that's not the case at all. That's thousands and thousands of percent. Because they're basically just paying interest to the Federal Reserve at a quarter and making five percent on it, which is a huge, huge, huge markup. But anyway, that, that's besides the point. My point is, looking at you know being able to analyze and make monetary policy around absolute figures is impossible. And if you don't incorporate the free market, then you're never going to have equilibrium. You got to let people make decisions because they feel like making the decision. And that's the thing is, like in finances, it, even if you inject all of this money. People are scared. People, people don't want to lose money before anymore. People defaulted on debt. They had credit cards. They knew that they were overspending and they were living outside their means. What's what makes you think that they're just going to go right back to that? Okay, they're going to save more. Okay, they're going to be more you know, they have have more responsibility with their money. They're not going to make mistakes again. And that's the thing is we're trying to rebound or we're trying to you know uh, recover to this period of time where we had utopia. But the thing is, why are we recovering to a period of time that was a, com- a complete farce as far as why it existed, how it existed, and the idea of, of credit behind it? Why are we going to go back and revert to that time where it was completely irrational? That's what we're trying to do, which is completely well, ridiculous. And, and the, danger,
1: <laughs> the danger comes from trying to aggregate a bunch of action of individuals into one thing and saying this is how everybody acts right and that's the that's the the trap that that economists fall into is they they think they put a model together that perfectly predicted the past that will therefore predict the future future, and not only the future of the economy as a whole but every individual acting within it and and that's where the danger comes is that they start to think that they know better than an individual, better than you and me, of what we want and what we prefer, right? They may have ideas as to what makes a good economy and what good investment decisions are, but that doesn't matter when you prefer to have one thing over another, and that's what they leave out of it is, and and that's what gets, that's what brings in the danger uh, of monetary policy is, and, and that's what the Austrians... Say is they say no, it's all subjective. There isn't a better way. It's just whatever Patrick wants, or whatever Bob wants, or whatever Allison wants. It's and and one is not better than the other. Yeah. It's letting people make their own decisions yeah. that they feel is the best
0: for them. And those are going to change all the time. And it's hard. It's it's almost impossible to predict what it's going to be. Oh, and yes. that's the thing is, and that's what they're and that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I mean, our our point behind all of this is that your future the only certainty of your future is that it's going to be different than what you think i mean that that's really it yep. and how you live your life and especially how you you know save your money and have have your finances structured you need to have it as plastic as possible what i mean by that you need to have it as flexible as possible things are going to change you're going to have opportunities you're going to have emergencies you're going to have costs you're going to have this you're going to have that and if you're if you don't have a model that's that's basically set up for those different changes then ultimately you're not going to have as an efficient personal economy. And so looking at kind of what we were going through today, which is the whole, you know, the last couple of days through this this I guess this math conference if if you want to if you want to kind of dumb it down. It's to learn absolute absolute ideas behind math and figures and so forth, but also at the same time recognize that as we use those tools, we're modeling something that is probably not going to happen. And I'll I'll, I'll actually restate that. We're modeling something that is not going to happen. (laughs) It isn't. Now we can model and we can predict and we can assume, which kind of gives us an idea of where we're going to be, but at the same time, things are going to change. So with all the uncertainty, I, I'm sure our
1: listeners are saying, or maybe starting to get discouraged, and saying, "Well, if I can't plan anything because of uncertainty, what do I do? That's a good what's, question. what's my option?" So, yeah. Patrick, what what are
0: the options for people knowing that there's that much uncertainty? Well, for, first off, you have to you have to recognize that. He, and that's a, those are great questions. Uh, there's two books that I think are awesome. I'm about to read one, which is kind of a. Uh, a a dovetail to to the other one. One's the the Rational Optimist by by Matt Ridley, uh, which talks a lot about you know the, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's kind of the history of of humankind and how we're survivalists. And whenever we have issues, whenever we have problems, whenever we have depressions, that there's there's some hard times, there's some resistance, but we rebound and become better. And then there's a new book called Abundance. Um, and I gosh, I can't remember for the life of me what the name of the author is, but it's kind of a dovetail, a dovetail to that, and it talks about the same thing. If you look at kind of what's on the horizon as far as you know biotech and, and uh, you know medical technology and energy technology, I mean, there's there's all sorts of things in the works right now where we're going to have multiple revolutions, whether it's healthcare or energy and, and so forth. And I, I, so my point is, you look at the, the human being, and we have an inherent desire to progress to progress. We have an inherent desire to grow. And it's always been that way and always will be that way. So obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. But my point is, with this resistance, things kind of being shaken up a little bit, that is the best thing that can happen to us because it's going to help us learn. It's going to help us think. And that's going to ultimately lead to our growth. And so as far as, you know, the kind of the, 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 the setup that you gave me, that, that question – is you, know, you need to position yourself so that you're prepared for opportunity. You need to position yourself so that you you are safe, you're protected. Things could go down before they go up. Things could go up. Who, who really knows what's going to happen? But you need to position yourself so that you have as much control protection as, as possible because most individuals today are locked in certain vehicles, 401ks, mutual funds, long-term type of savings accounts that don't, do not have that plastic uh, characteristic. They're not flexible. They have no way of, of of changing things and it's and it's sad because you have tens of trillions of dollars in those types of plans and obviously you have you know a couple hundred million well probably around a hundred million people that are participating in it and obviously without that flexibility and and those you know different characteristics as far as their financial vehicles are concerned they're they're setting themselves up you're well you are setting yourselves up for um, for, for some very difficult decisions. And those decisions could, could be much easier if you had other characteristics with your money that would allow you to capitalize on certain opportunities and to uh, pay for certain emergencies or to be liquid for other events that
1: may occur. Yeah, one, one great question that came out of this conference in my mind was they brought up the point. They said, ask yourself, do you want what everybody else is getting financially? Hmm. Look around you and look and say, is that what I want? I think a lot of people would be saying that they don't, that that the average person isn't a financial success. So then that begs the question, why do what everybody else is doing? Yep. Because if you do what everybody else is doing, you're going to get the same result. And so we're out looking for other opportunities or other ways of looking at the world or investments um, to provide that those different levels, safe and secure, comfortable, and then the opportunity um, to get rich um, and the you know investment vehicles that provide the liquidity and flexibility and certainty um, that we need in order to um, bring about that financial success. Um, so that's you know I guess I guess that was one of the big the big takeaways as well.
0: All right. Well, I think, I think that's, that's a good that's, that's a good uh, good amount of information for for today. So the the article, uh, this Robert Wenzel speech in front of the, the New York Federal Reserve Bank, it's great great read. Um, I love narrative I love especially when there's a debate atmosphere it kind of adds to the energy of the of the article and yep. so Ch- and, 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 and it's deep on economic levels but
1: stick with it mm-hmm. um, you know even if it even if it feels like it's over your head start reading this stuff start getting involved because because education is going to be the the you know the best uh,
0: the best defense and best uh, Best tool that you're going to have, so stick through it. Yeah, so so have the, have the article on one screen and then put, get Wikipedia on the other screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I appreciate you guys sticking with us through the podcast today. Go go and check out uh, Infinite Banking 101, which is this new uh, new website that we've created. Uh, there's a lot of good tools on there, a lot of good information. I think you definitely benefit, but it's absolutely free. Uh, you can go to uh, www.paradigmlife.net and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks.